right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Bright and early, daylight savings time. Whew, dedicated, you're dedicated. All right. Uh, So, Cha Sa Soon is a bit of a hero in South Korea. In her 60s, she determined to get her driver's license for the very first time. It only took her 950 times to pass the written driving exam. Only, and only four times to, drive the, or to pass the actual driving portion of the test. But her perseverance paid off as Hyundai gave her a new car when she finally passed the test and actually made her star in one of their commercials. Her story shows that the power of perseverance, that determination, perseverance actually does pay off. Someone who knew the power of perseverance is the late college football coach Paul Bear Bryant, coached for the Alabama Crimson Tide for many years. He one day got his scouts together to make sure, okay, they knew who to go to get, who to recruit. He didn't want any other kid. He wanted the boys that would be determined. And so he got his scouts together and he says, men, there are all those boys out there. Well, when they get knocked down, they don't get back up. He said, we don't want those type of boys. No, 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 no. And then he, he looked at the scout and says, then there are those boys, they get knocked down, they get back up, they get knocked down, but, but then they don't get back up. We don't want, we don't want those type of boys. And he says, but then, men, there are those boys, they get knocked down, they get back up. They get knocked down, they get back up. They get knocked down, they, they get right back up. He says, it doesn't matter how many times they get knocked down, they always get back up. And one of the scouts says, that's the type of boys we want, right, coach? And coach said, no, we want the boy who's knocking all the other boys down. But perhaps you can relate, if you're like me, to the boy that's always getting knocked down, right? Life can just hand you some hard times. Sometimes it's discouraging. It makes us want to quit. Today, my hope is that I will encourage you through God's word to keep moving forward, to keep going even when you get knocked down. Kind of like John Stephen Aquari. One of my most favorite stories about determination, he represented Tanzania in the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. He was a marathon runner. That day it was extremely hot. He started the race, got tangled up with some other runners. He hit the ground, dislocated his knees, scuffed up his legs. Medics came to his attention. They, they, they bandaged him up, thinking he was going to be done for the day. Well, he kept going. He started hobbling. He started running the best that he could. Because of the heat and humidity, the high elevation, many other runners gave up, didn't finish the race, but not John. He finished that race, got to the stadium hours after anyone was expected to finish, so most spectators were already gone, and he crossed that finish line. And when he did, the reporter asked him, John, what kept you going? Like, why didn't you give up like so many other runners today? He looked at the reporter and says, because my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. That's determination. When we teach our kids in kids zone about determination, we tell them this. Determination, kids, is deciding that it's worth it to finish what you start. Yes, deciding that it's worth it to finish what you start. I would imagine that most of us admire people who are determined, who are resilient, who don't give up when things are tough. The question is, is that who we are. Are, are, we, are. are we resilient people that when life just doesn't go our way, we figure out a way to persevere? 
That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus didn't give up when life was tough. That's why the book of Galatians, Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. If we don't give up, my hope today is that we are encouraged, that we are fortified, that we build up some resiliency so that we one day will reap the fruits of our labor. See, the problem with us quitting when life gets tough is we don't see the benefits of all our work. We forfeit all, really, the the opportunity, the right to be able to benefit from all our, our labor. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, Outliers, he talks about the secret to success. It's a great book. He talks about the secret to success. He says, you know, the reason why certain people are successful, guys like Bill Gates. He talks about Bill Gates. He talks about the Beatles. How do the Beatles become this great, iconic group? Uh, Hockey players like Wayne Gretzky. What's the secret to their success? He shows it's, it's a combination of opportunity. He says, yeah, they had opportunity. He says it's oftentimes a combination of talent. They had talent. But then it's just a lot of hard work. In the book, he presents this idea of the 10,000-hour rule. He says, if you want to be proficient at anything, whether it's learning a musical instrument, learning a, a, a foreign language, being a, a public speaker, software engineer, anything like that, if you want to be proficient in some skill, it's going to take 10,000 hours of practice, of hard work, determination, for you to see the, the fruits of your labor, for you to become proficient. The problem is that many of us, we work... Maybe 9,000 hours and then we give up. We work 9,000 hours and we don't see the fruits of our labor. We're like, it's not worth it anymore. I'm not seeing any benefit of it. But if we would just work a little bit longer, we would receive the fruits of our labor. And so the Bible says, hey, don't give up. For at the proper time, we will reap the benefits. And so we want to, number one, persevere so that we see the fruits of our labor. But we also want to persevere so that we represent Jesus well. You know, we live in a day and age in our country where Americans are oftentimes being associated with quitting. After COVID, we've gone through this experience called the Great Resignation with many people just leaving their jobs, looking for something better. It's led many, many business leaders to write articles talking about how we're a nation of quitters. And it's not wrong to be able to, you know, move from job to job. The problem is, is when we take that mentality of, okay, life is tough over here, so I guess I just need to quit and find something better. You know, we have that same mentality sometimes. We bring it into our relationship with our kids or in our marriages or to our faith, to a church. May that not be the case because when we do that, we don't represent Jesus well. You know, when you are determined, when you are resilient, you become a trustworthy person. Just think about that. Like if you've ever been tasked with hiring somebody at your work and you look at people's resume and you see somebody that's bounced from job to job they've had five different jobs the last two years are you going to hire them probably not right you're going to you're going to think i don't know if they have much determination i don't know if we can really trust them because they seem to be like a quitter and that's not representative of Jesus. We want to be trustworthy people, people that come to us and share things that they're going through. We've got to be people that they know we're going to be there for them. We're not going to quit on them. We've got to follow in Jesus' footsteps. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 commends us, commands us to 
Let us run the race with perseverance, it says. Let us run the race with perseverance that is marked out for us. Any, anybody here ever gone out for a run? You know, maybe, maybe, you're, like, maybe you're like an expert, expert runner. You run all the time. Probably this isn't applicable to you. But some of us, you're like, I, I, just, I just feel like I, I, I need to get in shape. And so you're excited. I'm going to go take a run. And so you get some new shoes. And you get those new socks on. And the weather's nice. And you're like, I'm going to go for a run today. I'm going to go for a run. Some of you have been there. You're all excited. And you're like, you know, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go check out God's creation. You got this map planned out. You're like, I think I'm going to run a 5K. I think I'm going to run a 5K. Here we go. And then you start running and you're like, did I say 5K? I think I think I'm in a 2K. I think I'm in a 2K, right? You've been there. But the book of Hebrews says, let us run the race with perseverance that is marked out for us. Not, not the one that we just kind of feel like doing when it's good, but the race that is marked out for us. So in our marriage, you know what that looks like? It's Till death do us part, right? That's what we commit to, but then all of a sudden you get into it and you're like, did I really say till death do us part? I thought maybe I said till things got really hairy and things were bad. It's like, no, you said till death do you part, and that's what God wants for you. That is what is best for you. So there are going to be times where you're going to have to show some resiliency, some determination to run the race that is marked out for you, right? You have kids, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to raise my kids to know the Lord, and we're going to do family devotionals. It's going to be great. And then you start doing it, and they don't, they're, not, they're like giving you a hard time, and it's not easy. And you're like, did I really say I was going to raise my kids in a godly way and do family devotionals? Yeah. Run the race with perseverance, the, the race that is marked out for you. How do we do it? The book of Hebrews says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down of the right hand of God, our heavenly father, his throne. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who endured through hard times. We follow his example. But how do we become more resilient? That's what we want to do today. That's what we want to wrestle with today as we continue this study of the book of 2 Corinthians. How to become more resilient. We've talked about that the book of 2 Corinthians was this letter written to Christians in the first century that were trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus in a world that's constantly running away from him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 starts this way. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up, Paul says. Paul says, number one, the secret to resiliency is it stems from committing to your God-given purpose. Stems from committing to your God-given purpose. Paul says, the thing that keeps me going, the, the things that keeps me from giving up is this ministry that I have received. I, I was shown mercy. I was, I was persecuting Christians, but then God gave me this ministry to make more followers of Jesus. And so what got, what got, what got Paul up in the morning was, man, I can have a conversation with somebody today that could make an eternal difference in their life. I could, I could live my life and give an example to somebody that might change their eternal destiny. And so even though there were many days where he felt like giving up, there were many days that he was discouraged, many days where he said, I don't know if it's worth it. He always came back to that ministry, came back to that calling, that purpose that God had given him. Paul faced some really hard days, which he shares with the church in Corinth. Verse 8 and following, he says this, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body 
so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Yeah, Paul went through some hard times. There were so many days that he felt like quitting. But it was his sense of purpose. It was that call that got a place upon his life that got him up and kept him going. So what's your, what's your why? What's your clear purpose? What's your mission? Friedrich Nietzsche, he once said that he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Right? When you have that clear sense of purpose, whether, it's, whether you're in school and you have a clear purpose, you know, the reason why I'm putting in all this time is so that I can serve people maybe as, as a medical missionary. That, that's what helps a lot of doctoral students. They have this clear sense of, I want to help people. I want to make a difference. So I'm going to put in the time. Do you have that clear sense of why? Maybe, maybe it's in your marriage. And what's going to get you through hard times, you're saying, because, well, God is, wants to use my marriage. Because there, there's a desperate need in our world for godly marriages. And maybe someday there is going to be a couple that comes to us and says, because you were faithful to your spouse, because you loved your spouse with an unconditional love, I came to know Jesus because your relationship helped me understand the love of Christ he had for his church. Right? Maybe your why is to raise up godly kids, to make disciples in your family. And so you wake up every morning with this purpose with this why to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to raise up these godly kids so that they can know the Lord and they can be missionaries, they can be disciple makers where they live, work, and play. What is your why? Do you have a clear sense of it? You need that why in order to keep you going through hard times. Someone who had a very clear sense of purpose and why in his life was a guy named Dick Hoyt. He's one half of Team Hoyt. Maybe you've probably heard their story before. In 1962, Dick had a son named Rick. Rick was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. He was paralyzed. He was handicapped. Doctors told told his father, Dick, you should probably institutionalize him because he's going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. But Dick said, no way. Like, Like, he's our son. And we're going to treat him like any other child. And we're going to give him the most normal life than we can give him. And so they loved him. They read to him. Hugged him. Eventually they invested into a computer that allowed him to be able to communicate with the outside world. That allowed him to go to school. And he went to school one day and Rick heard about this 5K race. A 5K race that was being held to raise money for a student that had recently been paralyzed. And all the other kids were going to participate. Rick wanted to, but, you know, he, he can't. He's in a wheelchair. And so he went home and he asked Dad, Hey, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, could, could you push me in my wheelchair so I could participate in the race like the other kids? Dick, not being a runner, said, I guess so. And, and so, yeah, for, for three, over three miles... Dick ended up pushing his son in this 5K race. And at the end of the race, Rick said, hey, Dad, Dad, when we were running out there, I felt like every other kid. And all of a sudden, Dick's like, okay, here it is. Here's my purpose. He had recently retired from the military, had some extra time on his hand. And so when Rick would be at school, Dick was in the neighborhood. He would put cement blocks in Rick's wheelchair and just started running throughout the neighborhood, started getting in shape so they could do more races. Over about three decades, they participated in over 1,100 endurance challenges. 
72 marathons, six Ironman triathlons. Yes, to do that, you know, you've got to swim 2.4 miles. So, so Dick would actually have to pick up his son, put him in a boat, and swim with him, drag him in the water in an open sea for t- almost two and a half miles. I mean, I, ca- I can't swim five laps on my own without feeling like it's time to quit. He'd go 2.4 miles swimming, dragging his son. And then he'd pick him up, he'd put him in a car, and he would ride his bike for 112 miles. And then he'd get him out of his cart, put him in another wheelchair, and then he would run with him 26.2 miles until they got to the finish line. Also, that his son could experience life like every other person. And isn't that what God has done for us? Right, when, when sin entered the world and, and left us handicapped, it, it sucked the life out of us, kept us from experiencing life as God intended for us to experience it, he stopped at nothing to bring us back to him, to get us to the finish line, to get us to heaven, to give us the abundant life that Jesus offers us. And we have this love that we get to share with other people. That is an incredible why that gets to lead us, that gets to motivate us to keep moving even when we feel like quitting. So one practical piece of application for the sermon this morning is if you want to be a resilient person, don't follow your heart. Okay, don't follow your heart. I know it's kind of popular. You know, you see it on YouTube, TikTok videos. People are like, you know what? You just got to follow your heart. Just follow your heart. That's awful advice, okay? I'm just telling you, it's awful advice. Just think about, I don't, I don't know for me, right? There are some days it's like, life is great. I love my job. It's so great. And then the next day it's like, I hate my job. This is terrible. What in the world? Right, if I just followed my heart, I'd be getting a new job every single day. It's like, don't follow your heart. Share your heart, right? Share it with other people. Share, share, this is what I'm going through. I'm struggling here. I am tempted to, to quit. I'm t- tempted to quit on my job right now because this is the situation that I find myself in. Get other people involved, someone that, that, that loves you, that's not emotionally invested in the situation. Maybe it's in your marriage, like I'm tempted to quit on my marriage. Share that with somebody. Get somebody in who's going to be able to have a little bit more of an objective perspective and say, hey, I see you're going through a hard time. But because I'm not emotionally invested in the situation like you are, I can see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. That, that if, you, if you keep working at it, there is a better day on the horizon, right? If you keep working on it, you will get the promotion. You will get the degree. You will see a better day in the future, but you don't see it right now because you're in the darkness. But I can see it for you, so, see, so keep persevering. You've got to share it sometimes with other people to get the resolve, to get the determination, to get the resiliency to keep moving forward. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, hey, the heart is deceitful above all else. It's incurable. Who can understand it? So don't follow your heart. Don't even trust your heart. But share it with others. Couples that did that in this town in Romania, in Transylvania, a story is told about this town for 300 years. It had a 300-year town existence. And couples would go to a bishop there, their bishop at their church. You can go there today. There's a museum there. But stories are told about this bishop. Couples would go to him and say, hey, I'm struggling with my marriage. Would you give us a divorce? And the bishop always had the same reply. He said, well, maybe, but not now. 
I, I want you to spend some time together working out your issues in the, the cottage of our church. The church had a cottage, a small little one-room cottage. In the cottage, there was one spoon, one plate, one bed, one sheet. And for a matter of weeks, two weeks, some people sp- spent up to six weeks working out their issues. They would spend together communicating, learn to work things out. And you know what? In the 300-year history of that town, you know how many couples ended up getting a divorce? There was one. One couple in 300 years. Why? Because they put in the work. Because they didn't give up too easily. There was determination there. So, men, friends, don't follow your heart. Work hard, persevere. A better day is on the horizon. So the first key to being more resilient is committing yourself to your God-given identity. The second key is resiliency stems from verbalizing your God-given identity. Verbalizing your God-given identity. Paul continues, verse 2 says, instead, right, instead of giving up, he says, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. Then verse 5. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Christ Jesus' sake. See, Paul here is verbalizing his God-given identity. What is Paul's God-given identity? It's in relationship to who God is. Paul's identity used to be wrapped up in his pedigree. You read the book of Philippians, he says, who did I used to be? I used to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. I used to be a highly educated man. I I used to have all of these credentials. That's where I found my worth. That's where I found my validation. But he says, no longer am I that person. He says, who I am is in relationship to God. I commend myself before God. He says, I'm just your servant. Nobody important. I'm just your servant. That he knew where his identity was found. And that gave him the freedom to endure when times got tough. Because if you try to find your identity, your worth, your validation in anything other than Christ, you will find yourself exhausted. Right? You're trying to, you find your validation in your work, and you're always going to worry about, am I good enough? You're always going to be trying to prove yourself. You're always going to be trying to justify your existence at work. You're going to feel like a fraud. You're going to feel like an imposter. Because you never feel good enough. You try to find your validation in another human being, you become their slave. You, you, you'll always be wondering about, am I living up to their expectations for me? Do they, do, do they love me today? Have I proven that I'm worthy of their love today? It's exhausting. You're, you're putting shackles on yourself, burdening yourself. And you can't run with perseverance when you're burdening yourself with all of those expectations. But when you can say, I'm a child of God. And I'm not a child of God because I've earned it, because I deserve it, but because of his great love for me, man, it gives you the ability to run free. Scotty Scheffler knows that to be true. Scotty Scheffler is the number two golfer in the world today. He uh, won the Masters Golf Tournament last year that's coming up next month in Augusta, Georgia. He was 25 years old last year, never won a major tournament, but he had a commanding lead going into the final round. And so he was asked, like, how, how, do you, how do you deal with the pressure, man? 
He says this, he says, the reason why I play golf is I'm trying to glorify God. And, and that's all I've done and, and for all that he's done in my life. So for me, my identity isn't a golf score. It says, like my wife Meredith told me this morning, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament by five, ten shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, I'm still going to love you, she said. And you're still going to be the same person. Jesus loves you and nothing changes. Yeah. He realized that, that his identity wasn't wrapped up in his profession. Gave him the ability to play. To play to his best of his ability. He says, all I'm trying to do is glorify God. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm in this position. Took the shackles off. Took the burdens off. Allowed him to, pr- to play free. So who are you? Right? You got a purpose, you got a why, but then who are you? Sometimes we're tempted to th- say, you know, I'm, I'm a doctor, or I'm a teacher, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a project manager, or I'm a software engineer. That's not who you are. Not if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. You're a child of God. First John 3 puts it this way. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. Yes, and that's what we are. I love it. Galatians chapter 3 puts it this way, verse 26. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Verse 28, therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah, that's who we are. Our identity isn't wrapped up in our ethnicity, right? You might be Korean, you might be Chinese, you might be Irish, you might be German, but that's not who you are. You, you might be a doctor, you might be a teacher, but that's not who you are. You might be man, you might be a, a woman, but that's not who you are. Who you are is a son or a daughter of a great and mighty king, of God. And when we realize that, it frees us. It liberates us to be able to run free. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. This is how the message paraphrase puts it. Love it. He says, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. We don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. Of God. And Paul says it's exhausting when your identity is wrapped up in anything other than Christ. You're putting on a mask, you're trying to convince people of these things, convince people that you got everything all together. But when you say, Nope, I'm a child of God, I'm a sinner that's saved by God's grace, I don't have to prove myself, I don't have to justify myself any longer, it gives you the ability to run with perseverance. Katie Hill Perry learned that to be true. I want you to watch some of her story to allow her to illustrate it in her own words. Let's watch this video. My childhood was, I don't want to say typical, but I think typical to those growing up in black communities. Dad was pretty much inconsistent. I saw him maybe every few years. He would just pop in, be in my life for six months, and then pop back out and just show up whenever he felt like it. My mother worked every weekend, so I would spend Sundays with my aunt, who was a Christian. Um, And so she would take me to church with her like every single Sunday, which was incredibly boring, but I enjoyed the popcorn that the kids got and the Skittles. 
Childhood was a mixture of abandonment, but not knowing that's what that was, mixed with glimpses of God through my aunt, mixed with seeing my mother work hard. I think middle school and high school was me chasing after love from people. I wanted people to tell me that I'm something, that I'm significant, that I'm somebody. And women, I think, uh, became one of the main sources of that for me. I was confused. I didn't know what to do. I had these feelings that seemed very natural, these thoughts that seemed super normal to me, but I knew it wasn't normal to culture. I grew up in black church. That's like a no-no, <laughs> is to be gay. And so it was projected all the time that this is not okay, but I had read the scriptures pertaining to it being a sin. And so I just believed it. I didn't try to talk myself out of it, because to me, I felt like what I read in the scriptures was correlating with the conviction I felt. This feeling correlates with what this is saying. <laughs> it's like, it's not an isolated situation, but I still didn't know how to come to terms with this is how I feel, so I'm gonna do it. The things I knew about scripture, it seemed like they just would not get out of my head. It was just like, God is everywhere, and it was just getting on my nerves. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be saved, because what I thought Christianity to be was people that just didn't do stuff. You don't listen to secular music, you wear long dresses, you go to church all the time, and you don't curse. If that's what Christianity is, I'm cool on that. I already didn't have peace, but the reminder of the truth was increasing my awareness of my lack of peace. And so I called uh, one of my cousins who was a believer, and she was like, you know what? I believe that God is going to show you how much you need him. I'm like, okay, whatever. I think over the course of some months, that's when I got arrested. My dad ended up passing away from a motorcycle accident, which really broke me because it was kind of like this realization that we'll never talk. From there, me and my mother's relationship was just like, we were not close, we were not cool. It was like everything I was doing, my entire life became uncomfortable. It became isolated, it became just lonely. When I was 19 and feeling God speak to my heart and tell me what you're doing would be the death of you. Like this is not an idea anymore that sin will kill me. It's not an idea anymore that God is not pleased with this. Like this is reality and I have to deal with it today. When I reckoned with that, I knew that I could not save myself. I knew I could not walk away from these things because I enjoyed them way too much. And so I knew from Bible study at church when I was five, you die for people like me. You said you'll forgive people like me. And so I'll just believe that. I was in a church in two weeks wearing girl clothes in a week. That was strange. I wasn't used to wearing regular bras and I had to understand how to sit like a woman again because I was used to sitting like a guy. Just relearning womanness. He did what he had to do to grab me, because I would not have chose God apart from God choosing me. Katie found her identity when she started listening to God. Started listening to God through the scriptures, through community. So who are you? Think about that. Who are you? You are who God says you are. You're his child. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't, certainly didn't deserve it. But you are his child. One thing I love about Katie's story is she found that in community. She found that with sharing that with other people, her struggles. As the African proverb puts it, you want to go fast, go alone. 
You want to go far, go together. You want resiliency, you listen to who God says you are in your own quiet time with him in community. That will build your resilience. Third step is resilience stems from acknowledging your weakness. We just got to acknowledge our weakness sometimes that there are going to be moments where we're tempted to quit. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 puts it this way. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We've got to acknowledge our weakness so that God's strength can be made manifest in our lives. Paul says we're clay jars. It's kind of a backhanded compliment. Like, thanks, Paul. Clay jars. That's what we are. Yeah, that's what we are. Unimpressive clay jars. You know, in the first century, people would oftentimes store money away in clay jars because they were just clay jars. They, they weren't something that if a thief came into your house, they would want to steal. Or if a thief came into your house and was looking for something expensive, they'd go for the gold. They'd go for the, you know, the, the, the piece of jewelry, but they wouldn't go for the clay jars because it's a clay jar, right? It's probably got some flour in it, maybe some oil. It's nothing expensive. And yet the Bible is saying we are clay jars that God has put his treasure in, his Holy Spirit and his love in. Not because we've earned it, not because we're impressive, because we've got something great to offer him, because we're just clay jars, and when, when, when you remind yourself of that, you can just say, hey, I'm a child of God, right? God didn't choose me because of my pedigree, because I've got so much to offer him. I'm just a clay jar. It takes the pressure off, right? You're like, I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. So I can take the mask off, right? And you, you realize we're children of God and that he loves us, even though we're clay jars. It's kind of like he loves us like parents love their children, right? Why do you love your children, it's not because they have so much to offer you. It's not because they impressed you. It's because they're your children. And so you can wake up every morning and just say, hey, I'm a child of God. I've got nothing to prove and nobody to impress because I'm just a clay jar. Or I could stay in bed today and God would still love me. You know, he wants what is best for me, just like parents want what's best for their kids. But he would still love me even if I just stayed in bed all day. So I've got nothing to prove and nobody to impress. So maybe that's what you need to do this week is wake up every morning and just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I am your child. I'm going to face some challenges today that I can't face on my own. And so I need your help. I need your power to be made perfect in my weakness. God, would you help me? Would you help me persevere in my marriage? Would you help me persevere in my job? What are you tempted to quit this week? Go to God and tell him. Maybe you're tempted to quit on the spiritual discipline. Maybe at the beginning of the year you're like, God, I want to read through the Bible this year. And you're tempted to quit. Maybe you're behind schedule. Keep reading. Keep seeking him. Keep seeking to hear his voice. Maybe it's going to take you two years. That's okay. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Persevere. You will see the benefits of your labor if you don't give up. So what are you tempted to quit? Maybe you've been praying for a friend, maybe a family member for a long time to come to know the Lord. Don't give up. Don't quit. I love the story of George Mueller. He started many orphanages in England. He, he prayed for five friends. He committed early on in his life to pray for five of his friends who didn't know the Lord. After a few months, one of those friends came to know the Lord. Eternal destiny changed. After 10 years, two other friends that he had been praying for came to know the Lord. After 25 years, uh, that fourth friend came to know the Lord. 
Unfortunately, he ended up dying before that fifth frame, fifth friend came to the Lord, but he prayed for 52 years for this guy. 52 years he prayed. Shortly after his funeral, that fifth friend ended up becoming a follower of Jesus. Why? Because he persevered, because he didn't give up. May that be our story. Let me wrap up with this poem. Edgar Guest once wrote this poem, titled it, Don't Quit. He said, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. You can never tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worse that you mustn't quit. Friends, remember, don't quit. Your perseverance will one day pay off. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you didn't quit on us. God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to persevere, to go through hard times so that we could have a relationship with you so that we could be adopted into your family, be sons and daughters of God, not feel like we've got to prove ourselves any longer. So God, we just ask that you would help us this week. The days that we're tempted to quit, we pray that you would give us your strength. You would give us your joy so we would persevere, that we would endure, we would shine brightly in our world for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.